Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Daigle Bites ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Daigle Bites podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Daigle. I'm a singer that hails from the deep swamps of Louisiana. I ventured my way up to Nashville to take the risk of jumping in on the pipe dream of singing on stages other than the ones I grew up seeing. Along this journey, I wrote a song called You Say, and what came next absolutely changed my life. I found myself in tour buses, singing on stages all over the world, and every single night I would get asked the question, what would Lauren Daigle be doing if she hadn't pursued music? Well, this season of Daigle Bites is answering just that, and I'm bringing you along with me on this adventure. I'm inviting new friends that I've just met and old friends that I've known for a long time to come and explore what it is like to pursue their passions. I know that they've inspired me, and I'm sure that they will probably do the exact same thing for you. So my absolute hope is that as you're sitting and you're listening, you then too can be inspired. You then too can ask the question, what is it that I would love to do with my life? And maybe along the way, you'll find steps to making that happen. So pull up a seat. Join us in the conversation. You have a place here. This is the Dago Bites podcast on Amazon Music. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Dago Bites podcast. I'm so excited to speak to this next guest, mainly because I've always longed to be an entrepreneur, and boy, has she done it. I am amazed at her accomplishments, not only the things that she has accomplished in the past, but how she continues to move forward with goals and ambition. Today's guest is co-founder of Drybar, Ali Webb. She left the industry in 2005 to start her own family, but quickly began offering affordable in-home blowout services to her mom friends, which led to the innovative concept of Drybar. Launching with just a sole California location, within a decade, Drybar exploded into a nationally recognized and highly sought-after brand with over 160 locations nationwide and a line of products and tools sold at popular retailers such as Nordstrom, Sephora, and Ulta. The Inc. Magazine cover girl has been named to Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, Fortune's 40 Under 40 list, Marie Claire's Most Fascinating Women, and Inc.'s 100 Women Building America's Most Innovative and Ambitious Businesses. In our conversation today, I was able to speak with Allie about how her parents played such a vital role in her entrepreneurship and also her work ethic. Would you please help me welcome my next guest, the co-founder of Drybar, Ali Webb. Everyone, please help me welcome Ali Webb to the Dago Bites podcast. Ali, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, it's going to be so great. Okay, I was I am genuinely shocked and stunned at all of the accomplishments that I just read in your bio. (laughs) For start, okay, I remember the first time I saw the phrase dry bar, and I was like, Mm. what is this for the listening audience? Can you explain what dry bar is? Yeah, totally. So dry bar is a place where you go for just blowouts. We don't do cuts or color, only blowouts. We started the company gosh, 12 years ago now, I have naturally curly hair. I grew up in Florida, a lot of humidity. And I just always, you know, was kind of fighting with my hair. And, you know, it's a long story that I don't have to go into, but I basically went to beauty school in my early twenties because I was 
dying to figure out how to blow out my own hair. And, you know, a long story short, you know, in 2010, I went to my brother, Michael Landau, who's my, my business partner and said, I think, well, I had had a mobile blowout business that came, that really started and got me thinking about doing an actual brick and mortar. When I realized there was just no place for women to go for an affordable, great blowout. It just didn't exist. And I was running this mobile business, which, you know, I'm skipping a lot, but realized <laughs> that I, there was a big hole in the market and we needed to bring a place like dry bar to women at, at a really affordable price, which had not been done. Um, of course, blowouts had been around forever and salons were doing them and charging, you know, upwards of a hundred and $150. Mm-hmm. We started at $35. We're, wow. we're higher now. We're, I think we're at like 45 and 50 in most markets, but yeah, there just was this massive hole. And I thought surely, you know, I was living in LA at the time and I, I figured I had enough of a clientele with my mobile business that I could, you know, have my one little shop. I had two little kids who were three and five at the time. And wow. You know, we just said, let's see if this will work. And it was in the middle of a recession and, you know, but it, it did, it, it obviously worked. And we have over 160 locations now, 12 oh. years later and sold our product line couple of years ago. So yeah, it's been a crazy, wild, unbelievable, didn't see it coming ride that I'm very grateful for. Wow. Okay. I have about 50 questions just from that one, <laughs> that one little segment. So what created this entrepreneur mentality? Because I love constantly looking for the gap, looking for the hole, yep. what, what can be built, what can happen. Exactly. But I feel like I'm not, I haven't gone from idea to actuality. You know, I, that bridge is something that I find to be difficult. Yeah, it, it, it is. I, I'm like that too. I'm, I'm usually look, I'm looking for a white space too, but I wasn't in this case. And mm-hmm. it's interesting what I'm doing right now, which we can get to later. I wasn't looking for either. It's just kind of like when you see it, it is just kind of like in an instant, but you know, my parents were, to go back to your first question, my parents were entrepreneurs. And so I grew up in a very entrepreneurial environment. Like, you know, I watched my parents run a business and bend over backwards for the customer. And I just, I had a a really awesome work ethic kind of drilled into me, Mm -hmm. unbeknownst to me when I was a kid. And I think that that, you know, really guided me into what I ultimately did and really probably also took away a lot of the fear that I think a lot of people carry when they're thinking about starting a business. Like it's too hard. I don't know enough about this. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough research. I mean, the list can go on and on Mm -hmm. versus like me where I was like, I'm just going to go for it and see what, and figure it out later. And you know, and I think that mentality is important to have if you're going to, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, it's really a lesson that I've learned. And I, and I think I largely learned that from my parents. What did your parents do? So we lived in South Florida, like I mentioned, and my dad's family was in like the Schmata business, which not everybody will know what that term is, but it's like old lady clothing basically. Oh, wow. And like moo's and like that kind of stuff. And we lived in, you know, South Florida and Boca Raton and Delray Beach, that area. And, you know, as most people know, it's where everybody goes to retire. And so my parents brilliantly capitalized on the fact that like, Back then, and we're talking 30-ish years ago, you know, there was like only department stores were the only place that people, women shopped, you know, like boutiques, Mm -hmm. like were were a thing, but definitely not for like an older woman. And there wasn't like Chico's, which, you know, everyone's heard of now. So my, my parents had the idea of putting a clothing store in like the shopping center that, you know, that brought trolleyed over the women from the retirement community where they could get their bagels, where they could get their, you know, their prescription, where they could do all their shopping for, you know, their grocery shopping. It was like a strip mall where in Delray Beach where like they, they would come over and do all their stuff. And so my parents were like, if we open a really 
cute clothing store for these women. And then they don't have to, you know, go all the way over to the mall, which of course, who likes going to a mall really, <laughs> then they, they would buy other stuff there. And, and my dad also, again, these were lessons that I was learning as I was growing up, but I didn't realize it, you know, they, they were not very nice stores necessarily, but they had, my dad would line up the front of the store with chairs. And so like when the husbands mm. would come in with the wives, he'd bring them coffee and bagels and orange juice and the newspaper. So they were happy as, as could be sitting there on the chairs and then their wives would shop longer and spend wow. more money. It's like brilliant. It was marketing, right? Yep. And, and it was also just treating people really well mm-hmm. and taking care of them. It was such a win, win, win. And so, that, you know, so that, so I watched them operate this business and which was not an easy business, mind you, because it was like, I mean, you know how some old people can be a little bit cranky and you know but my, my mom was like so good to them and was so like I used to ask her like why are you so nice you know and she's like because they're paying our bills and this is what like the service industry is and and it really like you know I didn't like it at the time and I felt like kind of weirdly territorial of my mother but I, she was right you know and it was yeah. like, it was an incredible lesson to learn as a kid so you saw the back and forth of what your parents had to go through and how to kind of deal with clients that Maybe we're a bit particular. Yeah. <laughs> particular yeah. is a good word. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we just got like a firsthand glimpse into what that was like. And and I didn't like grow up thinking I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I don't, I don't even think like, that word wasn't really even in my vocabulary. And I, like I said, I just, de- I decided to go to beauty school much to my parents' chagrin when I was in my like early twenties. And I, I had no aspirations of being an entrepreneur. You know, I just, when I did decide to embark on that, I was like, I know a lot about this. And you know, all of the other experiences that I'd had thus far. I mean, we started dry bar when I was 35, you know, and I wow. at the time was a stay at home mom. But before that, you know, I had worked in tons of other jobs and things that really, I believe prepared me to be at the helm of this company of, of dry bar, because I knew blowout so well, like I, you know, I knew this world and, and I knew salon world and I just, and I, I had a background in all this stuff. So I was like very perfectly poised, you know, to be where I was. Where were the places that you worked that kind of like built? Into yeah. The well, my, my first job out of while I was in beauty school, I was assisting the owner of a salon in Boca and he was amazing. He was an amazing hairstylist, but because he was the owner and I would basically, you've seen this when you've been in hair salons, I would stand behind him all day long and I would shampoo his clients and I would just watch him. I would, and I'm such a visual learner and Mm -hmm. I actually loved it. I loved being, I still love being in hair salons and watching haircuts happen and all that. But I, you know, I, so I was learning the hair, which I was there for, but then what I didn't realize I was learning was like how he was dealing with clients and with staff, you know, like people constantly coming up to him and asking him questions, having a problem dealing with this, dealing with that. And like, you know, I was like, you know, kind of paying attention, but not really. But I, you know, obviously later that really served me because I like, I was like, I kind of know how to run a salon just because I was John's shadow for so many years. So, so that was a really important one. And then I moved to New York city and I worked for John Zahag who, probably most people would know who are listening, but he was like the pioneer of dry cutting. He was like, you know, doing all the celebrities. He was like the guy and I, and the only person, by the way, I wanted to work for in New York. And that was a very humbling experience, which I think was important for me because he had these two massive greyhounds that I used to have to walk down Madison Avenue. So <laughs> you can do the math on that. And, you know, but it was very humbling, but I think it was important to, to like do everything, you know? But then like a true like 20 year old, I was like, I don't know if I want to do hair anymore. And I decided 
to, I had a friend who worked for Rogers and Cowan, which was a, you know, big PR firm. And they were, there was an opening for an assistant in the music department, but it was with like, you know, Paul McCartney and like Janet Jackson and Jennifer Lopez and Faith Hill. And I was like, okay, like that sounds fun. And I got to meet all those people. And I worked for Paul Freundlich, who was, you know, he ran the music department. That's not PR. Oh, Rogers and Gowan is? Uh, Paul Freundlich. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so (laughs) funny. So, oh my God. What a small world. Small world. Um, Yeah. I mean, so Paul, like, you know, Paul was like another kind of important person in my life because before that job at Rogers and Cowan, I didn't go to college. I never worked at a desk. I never, you know, email was just kind of happening. And I certainly had no experience in writing. And I, you know, all of a sudden was like working for Paul and he had to be, I mean, he was working with Paul McCartney and I was like, and James Taylor and like amazing people. He was, he was really good to me. And I actually ended up leaving Rogers and Cowan with him when he started his own company, which, you know, it's so, it's just funny, small world. And, but he, you know, he, taught me how to write. Like I was writing press releases and I was like, I actually took Keith Urban to like the Today Show once, yes. like, you know, I mean, before Keith Urban was, was big, you know? And so I just learned professionalism there. I think, you know, I learned how to write and how to compose a professional email. And it was, again, a stop for me that was like, at the time seemed like this was just like a fun gig. And it was a fun gig. And I got to meet cool people and go to cool concerts and really like, you know, fell in love with music in a different way, but that's all I thought it was, you know? And then, you know, again, I, I, I applied, I still write the way Paul taught me to write, wow. you know? And yeah. So it's just like all of these things, you know, so like sculpted, you know, who I became. And I, I always say that, I mean, listen, I think if you want to go to college and you know what you want to do in college, go to college. But for me, and, and I think for a lot of people, it isn't totally the answer. And I feel like my college experience was all the things I just talked about. I moved to New York City when I was 18, you know, and I, I like that was my education, which I have a 17 year old son right now who's in the throes of trying to figure that out, too. And I'm like, I don't know. New York was my college, you know, and yes. that's when I worked for Paul and that's when I worked for John Tahog and I got all this great experience. And there was a couple of little other things along the way when I thought I wanted to be in fashion and I worked for Cynthia Raleigh and Nicole Miller, not really made me who I am. That was my education. It's fascinating. I was just telling one of my loved ones the other day, they're doing college. They're like, this is not for me. I just, I do not understand why I'm here. And I went to college for two years, dropped out. But had I not gone, then I wouldn't have met this band that Mm. brought me to this record label that I ended up getting signed by. And I see very similar situations with you. Had you not gone to Rogers and Cowan, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have met Paul. You there's just it is so fascinating how life has oh this my wild roller coaster of bringing you from one place to the next that can be seemingly disconnected in theory. Yeah. But then when when you actually walk through those doors, you realize, wow, that was way more back. connected. Yeah. yeah. Yes. What was the thing about you that got you into those doors? Because you even out of mm. outside of Paul, you mentioned, you know, Cynthia Raleigh and all these fashion yeah. people. Like you just listed every person at the top of their craft. So yeah. what is it about you that allowed yourself to get in front of those people? That's a good question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, I think it's probably the, you know, maybe it's like a little bit of like ignorance mixed with like intense confidence. And I remember walking into 
to give you like some sense of John Zahag. I mean, he was, he was as famous as they get in the hair world. And he was this like European, really cool guy. And he just like, there was just like celebrity after celebrity in his place. And I was obviously like nobody, but you know, I, I remember like walking in with like, you know, my leather pants on. And I was like, I'm going to look the part and I'm going to try to look really cool, you know? And, and I think that I, I remember walking in like it was yesterday. And I remember like making eye contact with him. It was a busy bustling salon, but I made eye contact with him. And I, I swear to you, I knew in that moment that I was going to get the job because I knew that there was just this connection thing that happened, yep. you know? And I think that it was like, once I was in the interview and getting, you know, into the the process of it, you know, I was just really confident. Like I can, I can do this. And, and who knows if I actually could have, but I, I acted like I could. And I mm-hmm. think that that has probably been the thing when I think back, you know, with like Cynthia Raleigh, I, I worked for Nicole Miller in the Nicole Miller boutique in New York city. And my brother was working for the corporate level, which is kind of wow. how I got in the door. And then my manager, Nicole Miller knew somebody at Cynthia Raleigh who needed like, just like a front desk person. But, you know, when Cynthia would walk in, I was like really outgoing and friendly where, you know, most people, and even like today are like quiet and like, they're like, they don't want to like the reserves and they're like afraid to talk to the boss. And I'm like, well, I'm going to, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a pretty like outspoken person. And I guess like, as I got older, I was able to flex that muscle more. And I imagine that's part of what kind of got me, you know, in the door with these people. To see your vigilance, where did it go? You said you were you left those places. Where was the leap from working for these other companies into starting your own business, like out of your van? Well, what happened was, you know, alongside like my ambition was also my ambition to have babies. And yes. I was like, could not, I don't, do you have kids? No. Uh, I don't know if you have, okay. <laughs> not yet. Um, I, I mean, at the, <laughs> I must've been like 25 and was like, I got to find a husband and I got to find some, and I got to have some kids. Like I was so, could not wait to be a mom. And, you know, I actually ended up getting divorced after 15 years or 16 years. And, wow. but he's an amazing, he's an amazing man. And we're still good friends. And he's the, he's the, really the, branding genius behind Drybar. We can talk about that in a second, but you know, I was, I was pretty, I'm pretty driven in general, as you can see. And it's like, no matter what I'm like, I get my heart set on, I, I you cannot stop me, you know? Yeah. And at that point it was getting married and for a while it was hair. And then it was like <laughs> getting married and, and having kids. And I wanted to have kids young because my parents had kids young. So I think I had this like notion that I needed to do that. And so I met Cameron in, in New York city and we got married and we ended up moving to LA because he worked in advertising as a creative. And I was, you know, living in LA, stay at home mom. And I, and I loved it. You know, my, my older son, who's now 17, um, <laughs> when he, when he was first born, you know, I was living in Santa Monica and I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like I, I could not have enjoyed being a mom, a stay at home mom more than I did. And then we had our second son and, and then it got a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. And the time they were three and five, I was kind of like, Ah, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I love my children, but I got to do something for myself. I was feeling so under, like under fulfilled professionally. You know, I loved being a mom and I adored my boys, but I wanted to do something for myself. And and that was like, I'm like, what, what am I going to do? You know, I can't, I can't, couldn't really afford to hire like a full-time nanny. I wasn't going to go get like a job, but I needed to do something for myself. And that's when I started my mobile blowout business, because at this point I had done hair for 10 years. I was pretty good at it. And I thought, you know, like literally sitting in my living room with my best friend. And I was like, I think I could 
start like a mobile blowout business where instead of women going to a place and spending all this money on a blowout, I'll go to their house. And so I posted on all these mommy blogs because I had, I'd only moved to LA right before I had my son, my kids. And so I only knew moms. And so I was like, I'm going to target moms, you know, who are at home with their babies and would mm-hmm. probably love a pick me up of a blowout. So I started posting on like, at that time, you know, this was a while ago, like Yahoo groups. Yep. I don't know if you remember those. And like, I literally posted a thing at this, like there was a place called the pump station in LA where all the moms, new moms went, you know, for obvious yes. reasons. And <laughs> I was like, I'm a new mom. I'm a stay at home mom. And I, you know, I'm a, a longtime hairstylist. Anybody want to blow out? I posted it, whatever. I was like, I'll charge 40 bucks, two twenties, easy. And like no business plan. That was it. And Cam, you know, my ex-husband, he made me a really cute, like one page website that was just like 40 bucks, my phone number and email, like email me if you're interested. And I got flooded with emails. And all of a sudden I was like running around town, blow drying these mommy, my mommy friends for 40 bucks a pop, which is great for me because it was like, what the part of it I really loved was the building, which was, Mm -hmm. which is an important thing that I now really understand even more. And which really like kind of relates to what I'm doing right now today, which I'll tell you about in a a bit, but I loved the building of the business. And so I was like getting busy and I was running around town like a maniac, you know, which I lived in Santa Monica at the time. And I was going to Brentwood and the Palisades and Beverly Hills. And I was only charging 40 bucks, which was kind of unheard of. And, and, and women were telling all their friends, I got so busy so fast. And I was like, you know, I, I've got to figure out what to do here because I only had, I had to pick up my kids. Like I didn't have that much time on my hands. And so I was like, do I expand this mobily and bring on other stylists? Or that's when the idea of dry bar really started kind of percolating. And I was like, I think I should open a brick and mortar instead of me going to them, they come to me. And so I went to my brother and my brother had had some success when he worked at Yahoo and made a little bit of money. And I was like, would you consider backing me to do this? And, you know, his, his initial response was, and he's bald, by the way, his initial response was like, I don't understand. Like his wife, you know, was, who has like that stick straight hair. That was like my dream hair. He was like, my wife, Sarah doesn't need blow. I'm like, first of all, you grew up with me. (laughs) Most women can't do their own hair. Even if, you know, and most women don't have hair like Sarah's that just like dries perfectly beautiful and straight, which is again, my dream hair. And so I got him excited about it. And I said, I I really think that, you know, with the success of my mobile business, which is called straight at home, you know, I think that there's an opportunity here. And it was like small, we were thinking small, like we'll open one shop that's very central to the business I already had. And like, you know, hope for the best. And, you know, at the time, Cam, my ex-husband, he was he was the creative director at a big advertising agency here in LA. And he was going to do all the branding, like, you know, for free. I was going to figure out all the other stuff for free. And my brother was going to be the business side of it. So we were at an advantage because we were doing this, you know, out of our own, like, well, let's see if this works, you know? And so we opened the first location in 2010 in Brentwood. And Michael was running a real estate marketing company then. And Cam was, you know, still running this advertising agency and I was going to be in the shops and we didn't, or the shop, it was one shop, you know, (laughs) we didn't know what it was going to look like, but it was, it was like bananas busy. And it was like, you know, which is unheard of for like a new salon. It was like out of the gate, super, super packed. And we were like, we're on to something. And, mm-hmm. and we knew really in that moment, that first day, like we were like, we've, we've captured lightning in a bottle here and then we have to wow. keep going. So what, where, how did the evolution of all these stores happen? Like where, when did you realize I need to do this in other locations? 
Very quickly. I mean, we were so busy so fast. We were so under, under, like, prepared. <laughs> yeah. under, under everything, you know, I completely overwhelmed. Like we didn't have enough people. I thought I could run it. Like I didn't need a manager. And I was basically like standing in the first chair in Brentwood, blow drying hair all day long. So, but at the first chair, so I could see the manager and I could keep an eye on what was going on in the shop because we didn't have anybody running it. That's what I thought I was going to do. But then I was like, I got to do hair because we're so busy and we had only eight chairs in that shop, but I didn't have enough stylists yet. So it was just like, we were just like kind of underwater the whole time trying to catch our breath to like get this shop, you know, staffed and like up, like running. So they, we, we would be there till like nine, 10 o'clock at night, like closing out the register because it was like, it was just so crazy. We couldn't even, I mean, one of my, one of my favorite stories that people, you know, that I always tell people when they ask me, you're like, what, am, what are some of the mistakes that you've made? It's like, you know, we had a phone in the shop, like you would think so people could call and book appointments. And then we realized like, we could not answer the phone because between the blow dryers and all the people in the shop and checking people in and checking people out, there was no chance we were answering a phone. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling the girls who, you know, were working with me, like, just don't answer it. We have to call everybody back because I was so concerned. And this goes back to like my parents' business. I was so concerned with giving the people standing in front of me, a good experience. I was like, I'm not going to be on the phone. Like, excuse me, one second, you know, and like be in someone's face and not, not talking to them. So I was like, well, we just can't answer the phone. We've got to call those people back. So then we would close the store and start calling people because and booking them. And we were like, this is not sustainable. <laughs> and so we ended up with like hiring a couple of girls to like work out of their homes and answer the phone because we couldn't answer them in the shop. And now the dry bar famously is not, is known for like not having phones in the shop, which really annoys a lot of customers who are trying to call a specific shop. And we're like, it's just the, the phone volume is so crazy. Oh, yeah. Do you, do they just walk up? Is it all walk-ins? It, it, well, that was a question for us too. I mean, in the beginning, we didn't know. We thought like maybe it'll be walk-ins, but we, we actually probably a week or two before we opened Daily Candy, which, you know, RIP Daily Candy, I'm sure you remember it was so awesome. They ran a thing on us saying, you know, you know, hot air is blowing in town, this pithy, awesome thing. That, and I have it framed somewhere, oh, but, and, and the bookings were just coming in and coming in. And so we were just, you know, growing and growing. And, you know, consequently we ended up adding so many more jobs. And then we knew we had to start opening more to your question because, we could not meet the demand in Brentwood. I mean, I used to pull out like stools and plug in blow dryers to the wall, which was not the experience I yeah. wanted to create. You know, it was like dry bars, like you're sitting at a bar, you're watching a chick flick, you're not looking at a mirror, all that. And I'm like, and here's a stool because mm -hmm. because women were just desperate to get in. It was so bananas. It was so awesome. And we just knew like, again, we were onto something. And then it took us six months to open our second location in Studio City. And I remember that six months feeling like years. And I was so mad at my brother. I was like, can you go find us another location? I was in the trenches running the store. You know, Cam was still running, still at his advertising agency job full time. And I was just, just so overwhelmed. And finally, we opened that second store, which turned into three really quickly. We, we raised money from like angel investors and like, you're kind of off to the races from there. Wow. Switching gears only because it's in the same sentence in my notes. What is ideal image? So what was interesting is a couple of years ago, I started like thinking about, I was like, I think I want to join some boards now. And I came across this through a kind of a friend, this company, Ideal Image, where they're, they're the largest medical spa in the country. And, you know, and I'm, you know, as I'm getting older, you know, it's like they're, they're doing like amazing treatments, like in addition to like Botox and, and that kind of stuff. 
you know, like cool scoping and, you know, PRP and just all these different like things that, you know, but there, you can do it in like one spot and one hub. Like they're just starting to come to LA. So I haven't been able to really experience it as much as I want, but, you know, they were looking to like kind of round out their board and they needed more women on it. And, and so I decided to join and kind of lend my expertise in the beauty space. And so that's another little project of mine that I've been working on. Since Dry Bar, what are some of the other things that you've... So now you're on two boards. What are some other things that you've got your hands in? Because from reading, I'm like, oh, this is a woman that won't be stopped. Like for forever, you're going to be involved, which is amazing. Well, I would say like the biggest thing we've done since Dry Bar is this brand called Squeeze, which is a massage concept. And we opened the first one in Studio City and we just sold the rights because it's completely a franchise model to Nashville. So there's one opening in Nashville soon. Yes. Um, are you based in Nashville? Uh, yes. Or are you back and forth? I'm back and forth, yeah. but yes, Nashville. Yeah. So Nashville, Arizona, DC, there, there's California. So we're, we opened like a year before the pandemic and we were like on fire. The, the business was like crazy and it's a massage concept and it has the same founding team as Drybar. So Cam did all the creative, our architect who did Drybar did Squeeze. It's like, the space is amazing and beautiful. And Brittany Driscoll, who actually lives in Nashville now too, she was our head of marketing and she is now our co-founder and she's the CEO and she's doing a kick-ass job. But the biggest differentiator of Squeeze is it's, it's, the, it's kind of the booking system. So similar to like Uber or Postmates, you do everything on the app. You book your preferences. You can read about the stylist. Like, do you like, like the, the temperature of the room, the music, the parts of your body like this pressure, the parts of the body like that pressure, oil, lotion, like you name it, you know? Wow. And so that is a completely go, customized you, experience, completely customized. Wow. And, you, and you, and you book and you pay on the app. So you walk in and you're like, I'm Lauren, I'm here for my massage. They, you sign a waiver the first time you come in and every other time they know who you are. They know what you like. They know what you liked or didn't like last time. And that, and you just always book online and you pay online. So the second you're done, you just walk out. Like you don't have to wow. stop and talk and deal with like waiting and all of that stuff. So, you know, Brittany's done a phenomenal job also of you know, finding great therapists and cultivating a really beautiful team. And it's such a family environment. People, the therapists tell us like they've never worked in any place like Squeeze. So that's like, you know, the big thing. And, but, you know, I'm an advisor and investor and on the board of that brand. And, you know, that, that's something I'm, I'm really excited about. And I feel really a little like kind of purpose driven Mm -hmm. again, where it's like, you know, things got a little crazy there for the last couple of years. And now I'm like, you know, I love squeeze and I'm so proud of that. And we have this other therapy concept too called okay humans. And I have my hands on a lot of things, but, and I'm writing a book. I know. That's it. Okay. I was like, (laughs) there's another element I saw on here author. And I was like, what? I had no idea. I was like a book too. (laughs) Well, this new one is more of like, I use the word memoir lightly because I just want it to be this really inspirational, kind of like the stuff that we're talking about, but, you know, really fleshed out of like how I started, why I do what I do, how dry bar was built, how my life fell apart, where I am now. So it's kind of the whole story. And I just want, you know, to inspire people to go do great things. You know, that's the the main goal. So I can see that. I can hear that even in your conversation. I'm just, I am sitting here like, I have so many ideas. What do I do to get them into motion? Because I dream constantly. It never, it Mm, literally never stops. So I've got music checked off, but I know there's a lot of other things that I'm, and I'm, the irony is I'm actually constantly interested in products. So so when you're like, you should go look it up, Canopy. I'm like, oh, no, no, I absolutely (laughs) will go 
I will well, go and look the it funniest up. thing that you'll get a kick out of, which is like really silly and embarrassing that I'm telling you, but people are always like, if there's one thing you could do, what would it be? I would be like, to be a singer. <laughs> like I have like, I have, I mean, and obviously, you know, I've, I've been on, I've been on TV and stage so many times speaking, which I'm really comfortable. And I like, I'm like, if I could just sing, you know, I mean, I just, it'll never happen because I have no voice, but like that would be, I'd be in, I'd be in Nashville and I'd be on stage singing if I could. Well, one day, you know what we could do is I'll just stand there with the microphone backstage and you just lip sing everything and people can just think it's you. Girl, I would don't do tease it. me. I will do it. <laughs> I'm all about jokes like that all the time. Oh my you got to keep life oh interesting. God, amazing. Okay. Last question. What is your biggest piece of advice for rising dreamers? You know, I think it's kind of like what we talked about in the beginning, like just start, you know, you don't have to have all the answers, you know, you don't need to know everything. You don't have to have a business plan. You don't have to have a business degree. You know, that that's always my, my biggest and best advice is like, just, just go out there and do it. You know, I think there's really wisdom in like, you know, talking to different people and finding that thing that resonates with people. Cause it's like you said, you probably have tons of great ideas, but there's probably like one or two that would be really great. And I think there is a lot of value in like talking to people around you that you really trust and admire, you know, I mean, I could go on and like finding the people that are smarter than you and things that you're not is really important. Like you, you can't possibly be good at everything. So go find those people who are good at the things that you're not. And you know, I've, I've learned a gajillion lessons on on this kind of stuff, but (laughs) I'd say those are the big ones. Those are some of the big ones. Yeah. Allie, thank you. Thank you so much. I just felt like my wheels just kept spinning. You're so delightful to talk to. Oh, thank yeah. you. Likewise. Genuinely. Yeah, I mean, what a treat. Yeah. yeah. Likewise. This is so awesome. Okay, Allie, where can all the listeners find you? So you can find all my projects. Everything I'm working on is just on my Instagram. It's at Allie Webb. So A-L-L-I-W-E-B-B. Awesome. All right. That did it. Thank you. Thank Yay. you so much. So I appreciate fun. it. Daigle Bites is an Amazon Music podcast hosted by me, Lauren Daigle, and produced by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. Hey, I'm Lauren Daigle. For more interviews and thought-provoking conversations and to listen to every episode, follow us here exclusively on Amazon Music. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Daigle Bites ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts